Welcome to season two of Classical Education, a podcast for those who believe in rediscovering the art of asking questions, engaging in conversation, and attending to the ideas at the heart of well-ordered teaching and learning. Adrian Fries and Trey Bailey invite you to join them on a journey in pursuit of the true, the good, and the beautiful as we participate in the great conversation and listen to the many voices coming from the world of classical education. Today, I am joined by Diana Cunningham. Mrs. Cunningham serves as the headmistress for Lindisfarne Hall, a classical Christian school located in Fernandana Beach, Florida, on Amelia Island. And one of the first things that caught my attention about this school uh, aside from its beautiful setting there on the beach, uh, on the on this island community in Florida, uh, but also the atmosphere that this school has very intentionally crafted uh, to bring in a lot of beauty, and through that beauty communicate things that are that are true and good to their students. And so I was just delighted to have uh, Mrs. Cunningham uh, accept my invitation to come on the program, and I think we're going to have a conversation that is filled with a lot of uh, beautiful ideas, and um, I'm just so excited to hear more about uh, how she has been able to um, create this school uh, in her little community in Florida. So, Mrs. Cunningham, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. What I'd like to do uh, as a way of getting started is I'd like to turn our attention to something that you have on the very front page of your website. You have a beautifully uh, crafted website here that tells all about your school. And one of the ways that you open up uh, on the very first page is with this question, what do you want for your child? And I'd like to just read the, the two paragraphs you have here, and I think this will be a good way of uh, starting off our conversation. You say, quote, children spend over 10,000 hours of their lives in the classroom, second only to their life at home. Their life at school has the greatest impact on their personal, intellectual, and spiritual growth. What atmosphere do you envision your child spending those school hours in? What qualities of character do you hope will be cultivated? What loves do you want nourished? What challenges do you imagine the intellect encountering? At Linda's Farn Hall, your child will be loved and valued as a person created in the image of God. In our classroom, your child will be inspired by the focus on the true, good, and beautiful, which are prominent in our rich and varied program. They will be in an environment that fosters respect, honor, diligence, and cheerfulness. Every day at Lindisfarne Hall, your child will create, calculate, ponder, recite, solve, serve, attend, explore, and sing." End quote. So Mrs. Cunningham, that to me is a beautiful idea for a school. I'd love to know how you uh, came to put this program together. Um, and before we get into the history of the school, perhaps we should think about some of these questions that you open up with on your website, these questions that are directed at parents and guardians, people who I think we both agree are the primary uh, educators in a child's life. Why would you say it's important that uh, these uh, parents and guardians are thinking about these questions? And, uh, and how do you um, sort of uh, go about 
uh, providing a space in which Linda's Farm can be a, a good place to find answers. Well, sometimes when uh, we as parents think about education, we're we're very focused on the academic part of it, you know, the learning to read, the um, math skills, learning about history. And um, we become, we, we kind of have tunnel vision. We're focused on the academics and we don't consider enough, I think, that our children are persons and they, um, they learn in a lot of different ways, um, subtle ways, very important ways that are not necessarily academic. And um, when, one thing happened to me when I was in sixth grade that really had a Im big impact on me. It had to do with the atmosphere of a classroom. Um, I had, you know, I was a child attending church and Sunday school. And one um, year it was time to go from the fifth grade class to the sixth grade class. And our teacher um, did something very simple, but it had a huge impact on me. She um, went to the store and bought these special cushions for our seats in the Sunday school room. And, uh, and that was such a very simple action that made a big impression on me. I realized this teacher um, cares about us. She's trying to make it comfortable and happy in here for us. And it changed my whole attitude about going to Sunday school class. It gave me um, a desire. I knew that I was special. It gave me a desire to study. Um, so that one simple act of kind of treating uh, her students as persons um, revolutionized my interest. Um, so that's something that has always stuck in the back of my mind as I became a teacher and as a mother and now as a headmistress that um, those um, atmospheric sorts of things that you might not consider um, do have a big impact on children and even as learners. So. Well, I love that story about how uh, something as simple as a seat cushion made such a big <laughs> impression on a, on a young girl. And I can imagine that um, children are likely way more attentive to those things than we might expect. Yes. Um, I know that when I think about, you know, when I send my children to, uh, to my mother's house, uh, she is loving being a Nana, a full-time <laughs> Nana now. And she has done some things you know, growing up, I remember her doing special things uh, in our in our rooms and, and, you know, just trying to create an atmosphere in the home. But she's really taken that up a notch for her grandchildren. Oh, and, yes. and she certainly has uh, that that prerogative. And I understand why she would do that. And they just delight in visiting uh, their, their Nana um, because of, uh, in part, because of the atmosphere that they're welcomed into. And and that is um, certainly something that that is generated by her by her personality and by the love uh, that fills the room um but it's also expressed in in, in little things like seat cushions right uh, you and, know silly I, things that you would never think of i mean seat, seat cushions are just you know who would have ever thought <laughs> well that's right um and and i, I didn't plan on telling the story but uh and I, and I really intend to to just shift our conversation towards uh, the particulars of your school, but while we're on the topic, um, I recall spending a uh, a week one summer when I was in college as an undergrad student, uh, going down to Mobile, Alabama, and uh, doing a bit of work with a church in the inner city uh, there in Mobile. Uh, 
And one of the things we did was we would go door to door and we would just check in with folks and say, hey, we're, we're with the church. We just want to see if there's anything you need. Um, you know, can we pray with you? And um, I remember being invited into this one woman's home. And she was just the, the woman that lived uh, in this, you know, government housing. Every house looks the same, uh-huh. you know, it's cookie cutter, uh, you know, block buildings. And yet when you stepped out of uh, the outside and into her home, you were just transported into a completely different space. Mm. And that was because um, she wanted her place, her home to be a place of safety and comfort for the children in that community. And so she was just kind of known as as everybody's grandma. Mm -hmm. And uh, they actually call her the candy lady. Uh, which apparently is is a, is a fairly common term uh, among those communities. Uh, just a, a lady in town who always has candy or cookies or something yeah. to share with the children. And you better believe she fed us. And, you know, even with um, the very little she had, she just had a way of arranging it and created an atmosphere uh, that really was a stark contrast to the world outside her front door. Right. Yeah. So I think that's a testament to to what these little touches. You don't have to have a whole lot. Um, right. It's it's more about intentionality and 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 care. I think. Wouldn't, wouldn't yeah. you agree? I do. I agree. Well, I can certainly tell that a lot of a lot of care and thought has gone into uh, the atmosphere of your school, um, and that that plays out in other ways, uh, including your curriculum and your schedule and uh, all the various things that go into the life of your school. Um, but while we're on the topic of atmosphere, um, uh, perhaps tell us a little bit about the story of how you came to to build the school, the, just the, the brick and mortar and just putting it all together. How did you take uh, this this beautiful vision and actually, uh, you know, make something out of it that 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 real flesh and body children can show up to and, and enjoy? Well, first of all, um, I would say that it's a, a miracle. Um, it's something that uh, would not have been able to be done with God. And uh, I've made the mistake before of saying, you know, when someone would ask me, how did the school get started? I would say, well, I accidentally started it um, because we started off as a homeschooling resource center in the church. And um, then we had uh, an anonymous donor that said, hey, there's this piece of property coming up for sale nearby. Are you interested in being a school or turning into a school? And um, so we had to really uh, think about uh, a lot of um, aspects of um, what a school would mean for our lives. It would mean that I would um, not necessarily be a full-time homeschooler anymore. And, um, there were a lot of um, questions you know, for our family and just um, my husband has been a church planter, and if we started a school, that would mean we would probably need to stay here for many, many years. So there were, there were a lot of considerations, but um, things just kept falling into place. It was obvious that um, God wanted this school. And my mother said, Diana, this was not an accident. God has been preparing you this uh, for years. And um, so that that took a lot of responsibility off my shoulders in some ways, because I felt like if God wants this, he's in control and we'll do our best. And, um, and what happens is his business. And um, that's kind of how things got started. Um, As far as uh, let's see, what was the question, how we got started? Um, 
we are on an island um, and at the time as the res homeschooling resource center was growing um, we started with middle school because I had children in those ages and when the eighth grader was going into ninth grade and we needed a high school um, teacher my husband said well I have this new curate coming you can put him to work and that curate was um, very interested in turning uh, this into a, you know, real life school. And he did a lot of the groundwork of all the legal work. Um, and my husband and I are kind of, I guess what you would call visionaries. We have um, a lot of ideas. Um, we are um, just excited about education and learning. We like to read. And so we had these ideas of um, our ideal school. And I am in the, the very um, coveted and unusual position of being able to design a school um, almost the way that I would want to with, without a lot of input or um, extra responsibilities put on me by a board or, you know, th those governing bodies that schools usually have. So uh, because of that, um, I've had a lot of freedom to put into practice unusual um, sorts of um, schedules and classes and methods and, um, and I've been able to be a little more creative than maybe the average um, headmistress that's responsible to a board. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to know more about that. Uh, I, I, I understand, and I'm sure many of our listeners understand um, where you're coming from in terms of uh, just sort of uh, enjoying uh, the, the liberty that comes with being able to uh, take your vision that I'm sure is is informed and shaped by a lot of influences, uh, but in terms of um, influences, you, you kind of get to very much handpick those. And and I would guess that many of them, uh, many of your influences are probably long dead, uh, if I had to guess. That's right. <laughs> uh, which which are some of the best influences one can have, especially when thinking about a classical Christian education. Okay. And so I, I want to hear about some of these, uh, you know, uh, these. You know, you said, I don't know if you said odd or weird, but maybe these quirky little things that you're able to pull off that that maybe uh, just aren't happening in other schools, but other schools uh, likely have administrators or teachers who who probably look at your program and think, oh, wow, we should we should do something like that. So give us some details. What what are you thinking about? Well, um, one thing would have to do with our schedule. And um, it's very important to me that when students come to the school, they they feel like they are in um, kind of a Christian oasis. And so uh, the very first thing we do when we gather together for the morning is uh, we sing a hymn of some sort. And we have different hymns uh, or psalms throughout the year. Um, so we sing together. And that's a really wonderful way just to have all the students um, make some very beautiful noise um, and have their minds set on good things uh, before they go off to their classes. So um, a lot of that would be um, one thing that um, it's easy to do. A lot of schools can do it um, if, if you plan for those extra seven minutes. Um, another thing that we do, um, we, we have morning prayer every single day. Um, except for on Wednesdays when we have mass, uh, we, we, as we, Lindisfarne Hall is a ministry of an Anglican church. And so, um, the Anglican ethos is, 
um, threaded throughout everything we do. Uh, we do not have morning prayer first thing in the morning because it is very important for us that all the students attend morning prayer. And we found that if it is the first thing and parents aren't committed, then uh, they'll be late um, or tardy and it disrupts the service and also um, does not um, work well. You know, it's not good for the kids to see their parents um, not excited about the service. So um, we do have uh, so the morning prayer, we have two classes in the morning prayer. Uh, it's very interesting. Um, it's a liturgical service. It's a very quiet, reverent, um, and also one of our, um, <laughs> I don't know, taglines is there's, there's nothing new uh, in an Anglican service. We do, uh, we read out of the prayer book. We say those same prayers. Uh, we always have scripture reading. We sing hymns. Uh, it's um it's very different from a lot of the uh, religious backgrounds of our students. Um, and they, they come to really love it and call it their own uh, throughout the year. Um, we also, one thing that I don't think I've ever heard of another school having, although I'm sure there's one out there, is uh, we have a contemplation period. And every day after lunch, we walk over to the chapel, which the chapel is two minutes from our school by walking. So uh, we uh, make that walk at least back and forth at least twice a day. Um, doesn't matter how rainy it is. The only time we don't do it is if it's um, dangerous, if it's the thunderstorm. We want the kids to have these memories of charging through uh, flooding waters to chapel because it's so important and they love it. It's, it's not as bad as it sounds, um, but for contemplation, um, the children go and they sit in the pews and um, one of the fathers usually reads some edifying reading um, to them or uh, they have prayers. Uh, we suggest that they pray for uh, the students in their class or um, they're directed in some other way. And sometimes it's a, just a quiet contemplative time for 15 minutes. Um, that uh, period of the day, uh, when we first instituted it, um, we really did not know how the students respond. Uh, and we did not have a lot of hope for it. We were actually taking away 15 minutes of their recess and making them go, you know, basically to church. And um, every year at the end of the year, we um, poll the students, you know, what was the most meaningful thing um, at Lindisfarne Hall this year? Or um, what went really well for you and what didn't go so well and what are your constructive criticisms and um, the, at the contemplation period always comes up in the polls as something that uh, the students really um, uh, you know find a lot of benefit from so um, that's an unusual thing that we have done uh, another thing kind of one of um, the Anglican Church's um, great treasures is its hymnal of the English hymns. Um, a lot of British schools are built around their um, choir schools. Um, the school that, the American school that we kind of uh, have copied, I shouldn't say copied, but you know, we, we have looked to for inspiration is uh, St. Andrews in California, uh, which um, dedicates a lot of time to choir. And so uh, that is another um, thing that we have done that really has had huge benefits. And I'm talking to you as a person that cannot keep a tune. I cannot sing. Um, it is my great um, 
hope that when I get to heaven, I'll have the opportunity to sing um, with a lot of notes all on tune, but, um, but God made me an appreciator. I can appreciate other people's singings, but um, having choir, teaching the students to, to sing in those four parts, um, singing those hymns really is life-changing for them. Um, every day, even the reluctant ones, they are hearing um, really important words um, about God, about themselves. Um, they, when they are singing those words, their minds are being bathed with those words. And then just the beauty of it, uh, we are blessed with some um, excellent um, vocalists in our, you know, our fathers. So, um, you know, they are just hearing beautiful music and contributing to it every single day. And um, we have we have students from all you know various backgrounds and non-religious backgrounds. Um, this beauty affects them. And uh, one of the I don't know most heartwarming things uh, that hap has happened to me as headmistress was last year um, overhearing a very heated debate um, in the commons room about uh, which was the best hymn, and they were saying you know number 345. No, it's number five. And um, a lot of these students, they're not churched and they were, you know, really um, debating about the, um, the music itself, the words, um, just everything. So uh, it does have, it's one of those atmospheric things that um, has a, a subtle but important impact. Um, and those, not all of those students enjoy choir, but they are all getting a benefit out of it. So that's another um, thing that I, I have the privilege of being able to say, yes, you have to go to choir, uh, whereas in another school, it might be an elective or, you know, that sort of thing. So. Yes, well, based on everything you just described, it's very clear to me that that your school thinks a lot about the value of your students' time and how that time is spent, uh, what they're doing, uh, where they're doing it, um, but most importantly, uh, who they are being, right, mm -hmm. during their time uh, while, they're, while they're at your school. And the school, I think we can all agree, is, is really the faculty and the, the students certainly are, are a part of the school, but but only for a season, right? Right. And, and if we can imagine the faculty is is like a rock, and and the students, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna use an ocean uh, image here since <laughs> since we're talking about a, a school on an island, you know the uh, the students are like the the tide that comes in and out, right? They're they're there at the school and then they leave, and another batch comes in, and and these are all precious souls, and and God has many things in store for them. Uh, throughout their lives, and for this for relatively short period of time, uh, they're a part of the the life of the school, and um, and it sounds to me that you are interested in giving the students, in the as I said, the relatively short amount of time that you have with them, something that is um, really uh, their birthright in so many ways, something that's been preserved for them, something that's been handed down to you that you want to pass on to them, the tradition, right? Right. And so, so in that way, you know, you're, you're truly a classical school and, and you're, you're very much a, uh, classical Christian school. And I appreciate you, um, 
just uh, talking about how you know your Anglican faith has informed your practices, and I'm sure it informs the atmosphere. Uh, undoubtedly, you know the the things that the children see day in and day out, um, both in the classroom and in the chapel, are are teaching them um, from that heritage, knowing that not all of them uh, share that. Uh, you know, as you said, many of your students, it sounds like, aren't even uh, in church at all, which That's I think is, is a growing um, situation for many classical Christian educators. I would even say, and, and we can get into this perhaps later in the, in the program, that um, even a lot of uh, our students who are, quote unquote, in church, um, do not necessarily think of the church as an authority in their lives, uh, nor do, do they think of it as something that is passing uh, on to them something other than um, sort of this moment of, uh, let's say, um, receiving or accepting, you know, the, the language varies, right. salvation, uh, versus something that you live in and are part of throughout your lives. That is um, so, part of the way we've tried to set things up is a monastic feel. So, yeah. you know, the church usually, uh, you know, the liturgy of the hours, uh, you might be praying every three hours. Um, and of course, we don't uh, have the students stop every three hours. Although it's almost that and pray. Um, we, we really strive for that um, peaceful, God-focused atmosphere um, at all times. And um for example, uh, when we head to the chapel, we um, we listen for the bells coming from the bell tower, and that has us go. And uh, and when chapel is over, or I should say morning prayer, then um, as we're walking back, we have the bell tower bells playing, just because you know the kids aren't really listening to those bells consciously. <laughs> But just that beauty of the walk and the music and leaving, um, it does have a big impact. And uh, we haven't been at this very long, but we have had uh, many students um, come back to us later and say, uh, and this is about the whole uh, curriculum, but, you know, we had no idea what you were trying to give us while, you, while we were there. But, um, but now we know we are so thankful that you that you tried and and now we know where to go um, find good things and um, we've had students that were unchurched come back and say you know several years later uh, can can we get baptized you know we the, and that, so this is we did not see fruit uh, you know immediately um, but as the years go by we we have students returning and saying this really made an impact we didn't realize it. Um, from the books we read to the Christian atmosphere, um, it really, uh, and that's our goal because um, these, these, all these children are precious to God, their minds, bodies, and souls. We try to um, give them the best in every <laughs> way we can. So, yes, well, all of that is is really a testimony in and of itself uh, to the good work that's going on, and and of course that that work. Uh, in part, is from your uh, your planting and watering, um, but we all know that that God is giving the increase there, and and as you say, uh, you know that that fruit sometimes takes some time to 
to come into uh, uh, fruition, let's say. Yes. Um, but but may God give us patience uh, to do the right thing uh, in the meantime, while we wait on His on His actions and His um, and His servants to to glorify Him. And and of course, all of all of these students, as we mentioned, are, are precious souls, and they're being taught by the the littlest of things. Um, we started out with seat cushions. Now we're talking about church bells. All of this, you know, uh, sort of in teacher lingo is is called the hidden curriculum. Mm-hmm. And and yet, um, just as much as, you know, a uh, what we understand as a curriculum, you know, uh, with the books and the, um, the the reading list and the uh, the exercises, um, all of these things we've mentioned thus far are teaching and and calling attention. That's one of the things you mentioned um, in, in the introductory paragraphs to your website. You want your students to attend. And to attend school, I think I think you would agree, doesn't just mean showing up, right? Uh, it actually means um, giving of yourself, orienting yourself towards something. Uh, and, and we want them to do that uh, towards things that are that are true, good, and beautiful. So let's. I think this would be a good way to just sort of make a segue into thinking about um, your not so hidden curriculum. Let's say. Okay. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about the academics of the the school. How do you approach that, and how do you um, how do you sort of weave that into all these other beautiful elements uh, that make up the life of the school? Well, um, we are. Um, a classical school that is heavily inspired by uh, Charlotte Mason and her principles. So uh, as time goes on, uh, as we have the ability to train our teachers and um, keep moving in the Charlotte Mason direction, we uh, do that as much as we can. Of course, uh, the first thing that uh, many people think about when they think of her principles um, which are all based on that the child is a person, which as Christians, and that's very important principle. Um, and the child's mind feeds on ideas. And those ideas are um, best found um, in books, in good literature. It, it parallels perfectly with uh, you know, most people's conceptions of classical education as well. So our, uh, our curriculum is heavily um, based on good literature, uh, from the youngest grades through uh, 12th grade. Um, We have curated um, lists of books that we think um, children can benefit from reading. Um, So that would probably be the first um, part of our curriculum. Uh, We, of course, uh, we we have literature classes that are based on reading books. We usually read them together um, out loud and um, discuss them. Uh, The younger students do a lot of narrating. The older students um, do uh, uh, not necessarily um, narration the way you would think of in a young student, but uh, more like question. uh, Well, it's probably too much to go into now, but um, we have a different process for the older students. Um, well, I'd actually love to hear about it if, if, if you're willing to delve into it with us. Right. Well, um, you know, for a younger student, when you have them narrate, you might say, okay, uh, we've just read this passage. Um, can you tell me about the passage or, or tell me uh, what you know about what we just read? And, and they will give it back to you. Um, but 
um, it's not succinct. It's, it's, it takes a long time. Um, and, and you're always asking other students, is there something you'd like to add or, um, you know, so that's the way it is with younger students. With older students, uh, you know, we are um, crunched for time. So we uh, do move a little more quickly and we'll ask uh, a little more specific questions like, um, uh, you know, why do you think uh, he said that? Or um, what do you hear the author saying in this um, place? Or um, does this, you know, can you compare this to uh, another character that we've read about. Um, but um, it takes a lot of preparation on the teacher's part to find good questions that aren't just being thrown out there. Um, for example, uh, you don't, uh, you want to be able to ask questions that are going to be able to have good answers, <laughs> uh, not a waste of time. Um, so it's a little bit different process, different questions, and, and uh, maybe a little more leading of questions than you might um, have in, in, a, in a real uh, Charlotte Mason um, narrative, narration. Mm -hmm. um, we, our history, um, history is, uh, we don't use textbooks in history, we try to use, um, real books and uh, primary sources, you know, that can go along with things. So um, in ancient history, um, they are reading, um, they're they are reading Plato's dialogues. We don't actually have them read the Republic. Uh, we do start with the uh, dialogues first because they really get to know um, Socrates and they really get to love and enjoy him. And then, you know, hopefully uh, when they go off to college and they can read the Republic and read some of the um, harder dialogues, they'll have developed a love and kind of understanding of what he's doing. Um, they read a bit of the Nicomachean ethics. Uh, and then we have put together a volume of um, writings from all over the world. So um, let's see, there's um, Ptahhotep, I think, uh, from Egypt. There's Confucius. So I don't know. There's, uh, we have. Um, various readings, and I don't teach this class, but the hope is that uh, when they read um, uh, the great works of other cultures, they will see uh, this, oh, this is a human, um, this is an inherent human nature. I mean, we look, no matter where we are, we all looked at this thing um, in this way, but, you know, then there are differences in, in interpretations or responses or actions, but uh, they really get to see um, some of like the universal human principles and then the different ways they may be acted out or, um, and especially having, of course, most of us have Christian um, philosophical understandings of things, you know, the students go, oh, that's a little different than the way, you know, we would have looked, you know, as a Christian, we would have dealt with that or thought about that. And that brings up a lot of really interesting um, ideas. Um, we, we also do not do, um, uh, our four-year history rotation is not chronological. Uh, in ninth grade, we, we, and we did that on purpose. Uh, we used to start off with ninth grade is the ancient year, but uh, there's so many um, really deep things to think about 
Um, and our ninth graders were getting uh, good grades. They knew all the words, but we realized as time went on, they actually had no understanding of what was really being talked about. So we changed that around. Uh, um, in ninth grade, they study economics for half of the year, and that's um, you're, you're you're dealing with more concrete. Um, you're dealing with money. You know that's pretty concrete, but but you're getting a little abstract with it. And then we uh, have American civics during that year, just because that's something everyone needs. And then uh, we do the medieval year. So they have a lot of church history. Um, they have a lot of um, ideas, but but they already have little pegs from before to hang them on there. They've already heard about some of this. And then we have the ancient year where they really dig into the philosophy, the underlying philosophies of um, human nature, purpose of man. And then um, the last year is our modern year where they uh, can see how um, it all falls apart if you don't um, have a good understanding of those things. So um, our history progression is um, different, but it's really had a lot of good and interesting fruit. Um, so that's one different um, difference for us. Um, another uh, difference, mostly in the younger grade, is we, we do try to stay away from um, workbooks and textbooks, and even in things like in subjects such as you know, English grammar. Um, my um, tagline is keep the words in their habitat. So if we're going to read a story, it's going to be from a book. If we are going to study about nouns and verbs, they are going to be in a sentence um, and hopefully a sentence and a paragraph that, you know, we have a context for. Um, if we're going to study about rhyming, we're going to be looking at that in actual poems. Um, so we try to um, make sure that uh, nothing is particles, but we're always looking at the whole first. We look at the whole and then look at its parts. Um, and that really looks very different in the classroom uh, from a workbook um, or textbook type of strategy. Mm. Well, this idea of considering the whole and then looking at the parts sounds like in so many ways, that's sort of a motto for the way you think about the entirety of your school. Right. Uh, <laughs> and so... I'm I'm wondering, uh, you know, with with your vision and um, your ability to uh, implement this vision, how then do you find other teachers to 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 continue um, carrying out that vision and and teaching well? What what sort of qualities do you look for in a teacher? Well, um, God has been very good. I we we do pray every year that he will bring the students he wants us to have, whether they're students that need to be there, you know, for their own sake or students that we need to learn something from. He sends us both kinds and also uh, for the teachers. So uh, we pray the same thing that he'll bring us the teachers that we need and, um, and not any that we don't need. And in some years we have struggled with not having enough teachers, but um, you know, God has always been good to give us what we need. Um, the first teacher, uh, other than um, the, the curate that we um, started off with, who was a wonderful teacher, and I wish he was still here, but he went off and um, has done, you know, he's working at his own church now. But um, they've been mostly through personal contacts. Um, 
the first teacher was a woman that worked, her, her daughter came to or attended the homeschool resource center. And um, I got to know her and she, with her homeschooling background, she was very familiar with um, being creative and uh, not necessarily tied down to um, textbooks and workbooks and uh, certain sorts of schedules. And so, uh, and then, you know, she just has that nurturing, loving personality, very organized. Uh, so, she, you know, she's been fabulous. Um, but it's, it has really been amazing to see that God sends us just the right person that we need. Um, last year, um, we were able, we hired a teacher that um, had a lot of, of, of those um, very, um, I don't know, ordered um, characteristics and a lot of interests and abilities that we really needed that we were not particularly interested in. A lot of the, the paperwork, the organization, keeping everything, uh, you know, keeping parents super informed. She's great at it. We really needed it. God brought her to us. Um, so uh, the we, when we have teachers come, we have a yearly retreat um, before the beginning of the year, we, we take all the teachers to an out of town Airbnb and, uh, we do go through our philosophy with them. And, um, it's not something that you know, people get right away. Um, we're always quite shocking to our new teachers. Um, and, uh, especially if they have been teaching before in another school with a lot of, um, um, rubrics and, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, <laughs> keeping Yes, track I, I, I hear what you're saying. And, and I want to dig into this a little bit more, if, if you don't mind, because sure. I know that a lot of our listeners are uh, either teachers themselves uh, who have um, sort of been caught up in this, this beautiful vision of classical Christian education, but perhaps they find themselves in an environment where they can't fully uh, implement that or are struggling to figure out how to uh, bring that into to their current uh, school. Um, or we have administrators who um, are desperate for good teachers and are finding people who have, um, you know, certain, certain um, let's say, uh, experiences and qualifications that, you know, um, in just about any other school, um, would be would would make them fit the bill, but of course the classical Christian education is calling people to something that, as you said, is sometimes a bit shocking. And so, how do you work through that? And how, I guess, what I'm asking about is sort of your your faculty development and your training, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. um, how do you sort of invite and then um, sort of walk alongside your teachers uh, as you help them maybe come out of um, some some different philosophies of education or uh, previous experiences and habits that they're now um, in some ways willingly giving up, but also having to learn some new tricks, so to speak. Right. Well, um, the, first of all, I wrote manuals for our teachers and we do one part of it. We do every single year and it's the philosophy portion, because if you can understand that, then whatever gets thrown at you at school, you'll be able to kind of 
think about it through that lens and make a good decision or, or understand why I'm saying do this or don't do that or, you know, something like that. And so um, we spend a lot of time on um, what is the, um, what is a person, body and soul. Uh, a lot of people have never really thought about it that way. They, uh, the soul is not something that is considered a lot. And I'm not, and I'm, you know, I am talking about, uh, you know, the end of a soul or the purpose soul, um, but also just all those um, human characteristics that come along with having a spiritual soul. Um, so we talk a lot about what a person is and what the purpose of man is, because everything we do um, as a school needs to be um, judged through the lenses of the, the right views on both of those things. Um, and so we, we spend a long time on that during this summer retreat that we have. And then, um, and then the second portion is uh, more of what does it mean to have words and habitat or, and what sorts of questions are good to ask and what sorts of questions should we avoid? And, um, how, you know, how do you, um, some of the nitty gritty, depending on which grade or which subjects a teacher is teaching, um, you know, how do you go about this? With When we have science teachers, I always um, make sure that, you know, science teachers, scientific method, it's presented as the best thing in the world. Well, there are some, um, some very uh, important limitations to the scientific method that I want mentioned every single year uh, to our students. So there are many things that the scientific method cannot answer. Uh, uh, for example, its biggest problem is if uh, something cannot be measured, it does not exist. And so with that one um, you know, precept, you've just wiped out the entire spiritual world. And um, so I want this uh, I want the students to hear this every single year of their life because um, our culture is so, um, well, I mean, it's passing, we're turning into a postmodern culture, which is a little different, but the modern culture is so um, invested in this. If, if we can't measure it, it doesn't exist. It's a very subconscious um, portion of the waters that we swim through naturally. And it's um, something we really need our students to understand is um, things do exist that we cannot measure. And um, so, and then there are a lot of other things that um, are limits for science that um, we want our students to just realize. So that's something I always go over with the science teachers. Um, I have a you know, list of um, what I want them to make sure they mention whenever they mention the scientific method, uh, which is important and I don't wanna denigrate that, but in addition, um, there are limits. I want the students to hear that front over. So um, I can't remember why I started off on that, but uh, oh, for the teacher training. Um, as the year goes on, uh, I usually interact with every student um, in every grade uh, quite a bit. And I'm always asking, you know, how's class going? What are you learning? Uh, how do you feel about things? And uh, whenever I notice that they're uh, some things, you know, maybe not where I want it to be. I'll make a note of it. And, you know, maybe that month or the next month during a teacher meeting, we'll, you know, figure out how to address what's going on. So we, um, on Thursdays, we have 
teacher training meetings the, the third Thursday of every month. Fourth Friday, we have more of the teacher logistical meetings. So um, that's kind of how it works out for us. Well, thank you for, for going into that a bit more. And uh, I know that um, a lot of people are, are thinking through uh, the various challenges of the, the very uh, fact that, you know, there are very few people alive, uh, myself included, who received a classical education growing up, right? Uh, so most of us are, are trying to get a remedial education in the process of giving a good education to, uh, to our students. And in many ways, that's a beautiful way to walk alongside them and, and be the first student, so to speak, and model that for them. Uh, but it does ask a lot of the teacher who, um, you know, in some context, maybe simply asked, you know, well, here's sort of our, our box program, you facilitate it. And, you know, as long as you don't uh, get us sued or do anything <laughs> that is sort of wildly outside the scope of, you know, I had I had a literature teacher, I didn't think I'd be sharing as many stories as I, as I am. I hope hope people are enjoying these. I had a literature teacher, literature teacher in high school, that as long as we had a book in front of our nose, she didn't care what it was, as long as we were reading in class, uh, she was happy and she would sit at her desk and eat peanut butter with a <laughs> fork, right? So I just had the smell of peanut butter, people sitting around reading John Grisham novels. I mean, that was my literature class in high school. So just confessions of um, sort of, you know, my experience uh, and what was otherwise, you know, um, a county school that, you know, had, you know, uh, by and large, you know, believers, uh, you know, in the classroom um, who were, you know, fighting against a lot of the things that are working to intrude themselves on the lives of students, but didn't necessarily think about the larger ideas at play here and how both the classical tradition, well, they weren't thinking about the classical tradition at all, but just how the Christian tradition in and of itself ask a lot more of us, right, in terms of um, the atmosphere and our practices and the things that we model in front of the students and the things that we ask of them. Um, it's a lot more than eating peanut butter and uh, reading John Grisham novels. <laughs> right. Although, you know, that I have, I can imagine worse literature courses, at least people were reading. So <laughs> books, they're reading books. <laughs> well, um, I, I have to admit that sometimes I prop the book up and, and just slept on my desk. But, uh, <laughs> you know, these, these are sort of the, the little things that um, our students don't know that we uh, know right. because we've, we've been there and we, we know, um, some, yes. of those, some of those little tricks of the trade. Um, I want to I want to go back to um, something you mentioned earlier on in our conversation. Um, I love how intentional you are with your questions. It seems that you think a lot about um, your phrasing and, and and your word choice. And one of the things you said that you would ask of your students, I think, at the end of the year, was what was the most meaningful thing. Mm -hmm which that is such a radically different question than what was the most fun thing or what did you like the most? Why, and, and maybe maybe you haven't thought about it in this way, but um, do you think we could just have a back and forth about why that question of um, of meaning perhaps is, is a, a more important and a more pressing question? Not to say that we shouldn't have fun or, or that um, our students shouldn't like school. They certainly should, they should love it. 
But why is that question of meaning so important to you? I guess that's um, what I'm interested in. Uh, you know, myself is I, I hope and desire that they're finding some meaning in their life at Lindisfarne Hall. And, um, and I feel like uh, we try um, very hard to provide things, you know, not, not, we don't want them to look at their education and think just so what, okay, so I learned this, so what. Uh, we want we want uh, things to touch them as persons uh, because um, each one of them is a person with infinite um, you know possibilities. We don't know what they are. Um, they they can be touched in different ways. We don't we don't know what will um, be meaningful to one child and. and not to another and vice versa. So it's always very interesting to me to see uh, what touches them. And, um, and just to go back to that atmosphere um, question, the most, the, it's the beautiful things that actually touch them. So um, it's always surprising to me when, um, I mean, it blew my mind when I, when they said that they, really um, found the contemplation period beneficial, especially that first year. I mean, and we weren't asking, what do you think about contemplation? We would say, um, what is, what was the most meaningful thing or what are some meaningful things? And this came up over and over again, um, but they are sitting um, in a very um, beautiful little chapel. Um, everywhere their eyes can fall, there's, um, there's something that's um, you know beautiful that they can look at. They're hearing um, words read, hopefully in a beautiful voice. It's not mine. It's one of the father's voices. But um, you know the beauty really does affect them. And um, and this year we um, actually the we found out that the meat the building itself was meaningful. Uh, my husband, who's the uh, pastor of the church jokingly said something like, we're going to um, tear down this chapel and we're going to build a larger building over here. And the students went bananas. No, you can't tear down our chapel. We love it. It's so pretty. This is our church, you know, and they really, they had taken ownership of it. And, um, and that the building itself was meaningful, which we kind of were not expecting. Um, but they, um, they, when, when we ask them what's meaningful to them, uh, usually it is they, their meaning draws from something that they have um, participated in in the religious life of some sort. So, mm -hmm. which um, I think that your students' testimonies just speak volumes. And I know that so many people would would love to hear similar things coming out of the mouths of their students. And my encouragement to them is, is they can, it's possible. Uh, first and foremost, going back to, to these, um, these principles, um, you know, respecting uh, the student, the child as a person, right? Mm -hmm. First and foremost, um, even that question of what was most meaningful uh, shows that you respect them as a person, right? 
Um, dogs can have fun. Cats like things, but only the human uh, experiences meaning in, in, in the deep ways uh, that we do. And so that, that question of what was most meaningful, I think, is really powerful. Uh, one of the final things that I'd like to ask you about, and, and we could go on because there are so many little nooks and crannies of your school that we could explore together. But I want to I think about how the role of the church calendar mm -hmm. um, uh, sort of operates in the life of your school. Certainly. Um, we, the first thing students notice, especially students that are coming from um, other Christian backgrounds or non-Christian backgrounds, when they walk into our chapel, um, are the impairments. So uh, there will be a lot of green if it's a, if it's a certain season for a Trinity season or in other churches, it's called ordinary, or it might be red if it's a martyr's day, or it might be, um, I don't know, purple if it's um, Lent. Uh, so they, they notice there are things happening with the colors and, and that's, the, that's one of their first introductions usually to the church calendar. Uh, and they, they notice it every time. It's interesting. Um, but as a, as a school, um, the church calendar um, has a lot of uh, what is called in um, liturgical churches, saints' feast days. And um, this is the first time a lot of students have um, heard uh, the word saint used in a way like, you know, such as this. So, uh, we, you know, we, we grew up and we all know that we are all saints, um, but they haven't ever heard it applied to maybe a particular person. And it's, um, it's a really uh, neat thing that they uh, enjoy. So our first term, um, the Michaelmas term, uh, we, we also have, our school has houses, um, probably a lot of classical schools do. Um, we have um, four houses and they're all dedicated to um, a certain virtue, but but when our students first arrive, the first year they're called novices, and so they are not in a house. And then um, after a year, uh, if they are going into eighth grade or above, they get sorted into a house. And our sorting is—I um, haven't heard of any other school doing something like this, but it is kind of Harry Potterish um, because they are sorted according to their what we see as their primary virtue. So um, we have the house of uh, Wingspear. Um, by the way, I made up these names. So that's the, um, but Wingspear, you can hear the Wingspears. Uh, that's actually um, St. Michael's uh, house, the house of um, courage, of standing up for what's right, um, even you know if it puts you in a bad place or it's humiliating or something. So that's the house of courage, um, St. Michael. And so that first term, Michaelmas, is also the, um, our Wingspear term. Um, our second term is Sapientia, which of course is the house of wisdom. Oh, each of our houses has a saint that goes with it. So that, that's where I was going with this. Sapientia is saint is um, Saint Hilda uh, from the 600s, Whitby. She was a very wise woman, but there's, there's interesting stories and legends that go along with saints that kids love. And so uh, with Saint Hilda, um, she evidently, um, according to legend, turned all the snakes into stones and threw them off the cliff. Well, um, the, these stories um, really uh, capture the attention, especially, well, yeah, of all students. And um, we try to really um, pick 
saints that have stories that capture their imagination and are really worthy of imitation. Uh, so every October 4th, uh, we have St. Francis. Uh, St. Francis is um, a saint that even most, most Christians have heard of because he's in everybody's garden. And all students are excited about participating in this because they all have pets that they want to bring to the St. Francis Blessing Day. So it's a big pet day at school. Everybody brings their pets. Uh, they all get a blessing. It's a really fun time to meet all the parents. It's towards the beginning of the year. Um, so that's part of the church calendar that we um, do. We always have St. Alfred in October. Um, every other year we read uh, The Ballad of the White Horse, which is um, a G.K. Chesterton epic poem, and uh, we have fun with that. Um, we uh, celebrate Martin de Perez. Um, the kids really like that one because we eat capers in a special dish because of this caper salad that he served to another monk in his monastery and um, the miracle that occurred. Uh, we have in January, there's St. Felix who um, God sent a spider to um, spin a web in front of this doorway so that he would not be caught by the Roman soldiers as they passed by and saw this, what they thought old spider web, there could nobody be behind there. So we have, um, we try to really celebrate um, these saints have stories that the students can um, relate to. Um, they, they see them in these, um, you know, exciting, um, you know, or scary positions. We, they see them giving up their lives uh, for, for God. They, they see them being humiliated, but still being joyful. Um, they, they see them persevering in of really difficult circumstances. And um, these are the um, people that I, I really think that the saints are the church's secret weapon. And these are the stories that um, can really give the students strength, especially to face what the times that seem like they might be on their way here, the, the times of um, more difficulties and persecutions for Christians. And um, the saints, There there's a saint for every story imaginable and if you if you read their prayers if you read their stories um you're edified and uh we do when we watch movies we usually watch movies about um a saint our young children cannot wait to watch you know it's a cartoon saint uh, francis movie or the saint patrick movie but th these are what we want our children's imaginations filled with and that's part of the church year that we really uh, focus on a lot. So, Well, our listeners uh, can't see the, the tear of joy that was just rolling down my cheek. Um, <laughs> but Ms. Cunningham, I, I just cannot express to you how wonderful, and I mean that literally, just filled with wonder, uh, everything you just described truly is. Um, praise God. Uh, speaking of saints, um, I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about the name of the school, uh, Lindisfarne Hall. Uh, what's what's the story there? Well, Lindisfarne um, is an island, and it's uh, it is now called Holy Isle because of what was accomplished from that island. But it's an island um, on the northeast corner of um, England. It's actually right on the border, you know, with Scotland there, and. Um, Saint Aidan was sent there to 
um, start an, a monastery, and which he did. Um, and from that monastery, they were able to evangelize um, North England. Um, they had a, they had a great impact. They they were really able to serve the Lord from there. And um, so our school, Lindisfarne Hall, is named after um, Lindisfarne Abbey. And uh, the way that came to be was uh, my husband and that the curate, uh, Father Brian Oldfield, were sitting around, I guess, in their office. Um, and they, they noticed, hey, well, you know, Lindisfarne is an island off the northeast um, part of a country. And we're an island off the northeast portion of Florida. And um, they started a school and, um, you know, spread Christianity. And, and well, we're, we're a Christian school. And uh, so it, that's that's how the name came to be. And it's, it has not been uh, a good name for advertising. We actually um, have to explain to our students every year, this is how you say the name of your school. And um, many people think our name is actually Linda's Farm because we have a secretary named Linda. So, <laughs> so there's all sorts of um, right. confusion over that. But, uh, but it's our name. So. <laughs> well, and, and a beautiful name it is. Uh, St. <laughs> Aidan was called to his island to, to minister to uh, the, um, the people there, and undoubtedly he faced many challenges and threats. Um, I wonder, uh, you being called to your island, what are some of the challenges and threats uh, that, that you're fighting against, and, and what words of encouragement uh, might you give to, to other uh, teachers, administrators, and parents who who are going up against the same the same forces uh, that are that are seeking to really do warfare against all the beautiful things that we've just covered. There there are a lot of uh, different kinds of threats schools can face. Um, the one that we faced early on is very similar to I think you mentioned your friend uh, who's also starting a school and had a lot of um, hostile resistance from from neighbors. Uh, we did too. Um, our church is located in a planned neighborhood, uh, and the plan of the neighborhood was to have a school on our property. Uh, the, the street that runs past our school is actually called School Street, but um, the neighbors on that street uh, did not want a school built where, where our property was. And uh, it was a very intense two years, um, seeing if we were able to going to be able to use our property. And we really do believe that that was spiritual warfare. Um, just the, um, the outrageous <laughs> things that happened, uh, there's no doubt. But um, a lot of fruit actually came from that. Um, it, you know, good things do come from bad. And uh, the parishioners of the church really grew together and became excited about the school when they had this... Um, that kind of common goal, uh, whereas it, the school was periphery. Now everyone became very involved in getting the school started. So that was, it actually was a huge blessing that brought our church together um, as opposed to um, just all negative. So um, that might be an encouragement to your friend that appears to be going through something similar. Um, you know, there, there's always... Um, there are always difficulties, I think, in running a school, and um, we we have we pray very hard that God will bring us the students that need to 
be at our school or the ones that we need to learn from. And we have uh, had to learn uh, from students um, you know, this, this, you know, you've, we've learned that certain things don't work, no matter how much we might want them to uh, work, that there are some things we can't fix. And we've had, so we've had to learn certain things like that. Um, we have had um, hostile um, parents here and there, but I think that's all par for the course. Um, we, in Florida, we don't have a you know, a lot of oversight from state requirements. So we are uh, free to do what we think um, is best for the students as far as curriculum. Uh, so we don't have those sorts of fights either. We're very blessed. Um, so we, we, uh, we, we pray a lot for the school, for the students, for the faculty, um, always. And, and you know, I truly believe that having our students um, attend morning prayer every single day and mass every week um, really um, gives us that, um, you know, that strength that we need and, and protects us, I think protects us from evil as well, so. Well, Mrs. Cunningham, you've, you've laid out a beautiful vision for us and the great thing is that you're, you're making it happen. And of course, um, God is is working through you uh, to to make this a possibility, and so um, I hope our listeners will will join you in prayer for your school, thank and you, for the people uh, that you serve, and uh, I appreciate your time and, and and may God bless you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening. We invite you to experience the art of teaching through interactive learning communities at our Patreon page. Visit patreon.com forward slash classical education. Also, be sure to join the conversation on our Facebook community at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash classical education. We are a listener supported podcast, so your support makes this podcast possible. As the great artist and educator John Ruskin once wrote, well, my friends, the final result of the education I want you to give your children will be in a few words this. They will know what it is to see the sky. They will know what it is to breathe it. And they will know best of all what it is to behave under it as in the presence of a father who is in heaven. <laughs>